You're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I feel really blessed to meet so many people who are interested in health, and there is just such growing awareness that there is a real strong connection between what we put in our bodies and our health status. When I hear from readers, that's what they're telling me, that they enjoy reading about others who are pursuing similar paths and new research and new books and people who are promoting these sort of ideas out there. I very early on approached my business with a nonprofit mindset because that's what I knew and have really had to learn how to be a business owner and really look at everything from multiple perspectives. And we're not going to achieve our environmental and social mission if we don't achieve our financial mission. And so I definitely have seen a lot of transition in that over the years. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Booth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you're listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 78, Good News, airing for the first time on March 10th, 2013. Looking to tread lightly on the planet? From healthy foods to earth-friendly household items, we've got you covered. Join our conversations today with Avery Camila, natural foodie columnist for the Portland Press-Herald and Sunrise Guide publisher, Heather Chandler. As the host of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, you might imagine that I'm all about good news, and I spend a lot of time thinking about what makes humans happy. Social media has proven to be oddly useful in determining what makes humans happy. It keeps us connected with others and aware of recent newsworthy events, and it normalizes our human experience. It also gives us insight into people's attitudes and emotional well-being. A recent study done by the University of Vermont used Twitter as a means of identifying the happiest and saddest states in our nation. Sorting through 10 million geotagged tweets, They found that individuals from some parts of the country were more likely to employ words or abbreviations with positive associations. More than 10,000 words were given a happiness score from 1 to 10. Positive words included those such as rainbow, love, beauty, hope, wonderful, and wine. The happiest states? Hawaii, Maine, Nevada, Utah, and Vermont. A lifelong Mainer, I was pleased but not surprised to hear that we are happy. Over the course of my years spent doctoring, writing, and radio show hosting, I have encountered a preponderance of people who believe in having an appreciative approach to life. I've also met many people who make it their business to bring good news to others. Two of these individuals, natural food economist Avery Camila of the Portland Press-Herald and Heather Chandler of the Sunrise Guide are joining me this week. We're fortunate to have guests such as Avery and Heather, and we're equally fortunate to have a positive publication like Maine Magazine as our foundational sponsor. Life can be gloomy, few deny that, but outlook is everything. When all is said and done, we are what we tweet. Whether you're a tweeter or a social media user in other ways, 
whether you use words to share love or other emotions with your friends and family members, or whether you just use words at work, I encourage you to think about how your words are impacting others and how you're bringing good news into your life and the life of those around you. Thank you for joining us this week. One of my friends recently sent a note via Facebook asking my opinion about vegetarianism. He wanted to know where the science stands on this issue and if I had any specific concerns about being a vegetarian. Like my friend, I have eaten a predominantly plant-based diet for many years. As a doctor, I've come to believe that plant-based diets have much to recommend them. There are many health benefits associated with a predominantly plant-based diet. According to the China study, done on 6,500 adults in 65 countries, a plant-based diet is associated with lower blood cholesterol levels, lower breast cancer rates, and lower digestive cancer rates. This study also found that the plant-based diet results in healthy weight, yet permits people to become big and strong. Plant-based diets do not always enable people to become big and strong. Some individuals stop eating meat only to replace it with highly processed grains, such as breads and crackers, instead of whole plant-based foods. This can lead to protein and vitamin deficiencies. Ironically, it can also lead to weight gain. The healthy plant-based diet is not difficult to achieve, but it does take some planning. Are you interested in exploring the possibilities of a plant-based diet? Give me a call at The Body Architect. 207-774-2196. I'd be happy to help. I look forward to hearing from you. In the studio with me today, I have an individual that I've known for several years in different capacities, and I think that's what happens in Maine, is you get to know people in one capacity, and then they sort of transform themselves into a, a different being. Um, but I really like this individual. This is Avery Camilla, who is a columnist for the Portland Press-Herald. She writes the Natural Foodie column. She and I have a lot in common when it comes to how we deal with eating and health, and I'm really happy to have you spend time with me today. Well, thank you for having me. Avery, why, why is it that natural food and being a natural foodie columnist, why is it that this has sort of captured the interest and imagination of the readers? Well, I think that here in greater Portland, we're really lucky to have such a vibrant health community and people who are interested in maintaining their health and well-being. And, um, you know, we, we show up on a lot of lists of, you know, the healthiest uh, communities, and that's great. And I feel really blessed to meet so many people who are interested in health. And as far as the food goes, there is just such growing awareness that there is a real strong connection between what we put in our bodies and, you know, our, our health status. And so I think that that's why people, um, when I hear from readers, that that's what they're telling me, that they enjoy, you know, reading about others who are pursuing similar paths and, you know, new research and, you know, new books and people who are promoting these sort of ideas out there. You were doing this before it became kind of popular. If I remember correctly, you worked for Switch. Yes, yeah. And, and you were doing a lot of social media stuff very mm -hmm. early on before people even really knew what social media was and blogging. Yes, um, yep, well, yep. I've, I've been on, I've been a blogger. I've been on Twitter and Facebook for, for quite some time. I remember when I joined Facebook, I, I think it was, oh my gosh, it had to be, had to be like, 
seven or eight years ago. And I remember joining and thinking, what is this? And I did it because I had to do a story on high school students and needed to reach out to them through Facebook. And then after that, it just kind of, you know, took off. And, you know, I found people that I actually knew on Facebook. And so it's an interesting tool. It's a great tool, I think, for for writers and journalists, because you can reach so many people, you can hear what people are up to and kind of get a sense of, of what's going on. It's, you know, great to be able to connect with people that way. And you also, I believe you worked for Maine Health or Maine Medical Center before you yes. did that job. Yeah. Did you find it very different between the work that you were doing with um, communications in a larger health-related institution and more of a popular mainstream type of um, approach? Um, well, when I worked for Maine Medical Center, I was uh, working on a lot of different different things there. But um, one of the programs that I worked on was very much focused on community health um, we had a variety of different things that we were doing. We had a cooking program. We had television segments that, that we did. And I found that very, very fulfilling and interesting because, it, you know, I got to work directly with community members and patients and healthcare providers talking about health and, you know, often talking about the relationship between healthy behaviors such as exercise and eating right and, you know, living a, a healthier lifestyle so so that that was that was great and um you know it, it certainly is is different um as far as working for one organization and you know really talking about what that organization's doing whereas now you know i'm i'm not just looking at what any one particular organization is doing but you know i'm looking around the community and seeing what's going on and what you know variety of people are doing I do remember that when you were writing for Switch, you were really out and about. I remember a lot of photographs that you were taking of food and places that you were. And, and it seems like that has been a good fit for you, that to be <clears throat> excuse me, out and about and really connecting with people. Mm, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I enjoy meeting people and... Um, the, the thing, as you sort of mentioned earlier here in, in Portland, in greater Portland, is we are all so connected and it is such a small community in a good way. And that, um, you know, you run into people that you know, you know, at the grocery store, you know, out at the video store, on the street, and it's, it's fun to connect and find out what people are up to. Um, and I really, I really enjoy that. You know, I enjoy meeting people. And I think that there are just a lot of really fascinating people here in the local area. I'm always so charmed when I meet folks who have moved here from other places, often with very high profile careers, but they've come here for the lifestyle and the fact that Maine is a really special place and Portland is a special place. And we have a certain vibe that people enjoy. And, um, you know, there, there's a niche for everyone here. I think that they're, you know, they can tap into particularly creative you know, creative communities, whether they're into art or music or food, it's all here and, and available for folks. So, so I, do, I do enjoy being out and meeting people. Tell me about growing up. You grew up on an organic farm yes. here in Maine. Yes, yes. Um, my, um, my family moved to Maine in the early 70s, and uh, my parents uh, purchased a, a piece of property that they then turned into a farm. And this was, you know, very early in the, you know, health food, organic food movement. Um, it was right around the time that the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association was forming. So there wasn't any kind of certification. You know, it was, it was very early days. Um, but my parents proceeded to um, to you know grow huge gardens and um, a lot of vegetables, and they also had chickens and pigs and goats. Um, and uh, they sold at a farmers market in Augusta. 
and I believe that farmer's market still goes on on Water Street in Augusta. And um, so I, you know, as a, as a young child, I was, you know, around the farm. I, you know, was seeing what it took to grow vegetables, to raise animals, to go to market. Um, I remember going to the first Common Ground Country Fair, which was held in Litchfield, which is the town that I grew up in. It's very different than the, the fairs that they hold today up in Unity, but it, it had some of the, the core the core kernels of, of what it has become. Um, so, so I had a really early exposure to the fact that, you know, you could have a different kind of food than, you know, maybe what mainstream America was eating at the time. And now it seems like, you know, so many years later that that the sort of stuff that that we were doing is is becoming much more mainstream and is much more available, which I think is really, really wonderful. You're a vegan, I believe. Yes. Yep. And this, I think you've been a vegan from my remembering of all of your writing. You've been a vegan for a very long time. Since I would say 1991, so I guess that translates into about 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it was before it was popular. It was before there was lots of um, people doing it. Before people, there were cookbooks. Before there were resources. Mm-hmm. And why did you make that decision? Well, I had been a vegetarian um, already, and I, I became a vegetarian in high school. It was actually sort of interesting. Um, I wanted a job in high school, and I didn't have a car at the time. The only job that I could get to was a fast food restaurant that was on the highway, but because our, our where we lived, we had sort of um, back road access to the um, the the back way into this um, this fast food establishment, I could get a job there because I could ride my bike. So I had this job there and was was very quickly exposed to a very different sort of food than what I had grown up uh, eating. And um, I remember a number of um, eye-opening situations, one being a, a chicken sandwich that I bit into and all this bluish, whitish stuff started oozing out. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that's a little disturbing. Um, And so all of that coupled with uh, a project that I had to do for my sophomore English class. And um, I I wrote about animal rights. And I knew, you know, about animals and I'd grown up with animals. And what was most shocking to me in the research that I did was... um, the information about factory farming, which I was kind of blissfully unaware of having grown up on a small farm. And I'd, I'd seen animals, I'd seen animals slaughtered, you know, and I, I knew that, you know, that's, that's slightly unsettling, but, you know, on a small scale, it's very different than what happens in, in the factory farming setting. Um, and that, that was really, I, I, I just couldn't stomach it and I didn't want to be a part of it. So I became a vegetarian at that point, which again was not a trendy thing to do <laughs> back at that time. Um, and then when I went off to college, I went to Syracuse University and um, my roommate was also a vegetarian. And she and I joined a, you know, a campus um, vegetarian group. And through that, I was introduced to John Robbins' writings, uh, Diet for a New America specifically. And um, that book was also eye-opening to me. I mean, he was an heir to the Baskin-Robbins uh, ice cream um, family business and, um, you know, didn't really want to go into that because he had found out himself about, you know, some some other aspects about dairy and animal uh, proteins that aren't, you know, that they maybe are not the the best for us in the quantities that Americans eat them. Um, So at that time, because I was, you know, eating in a campus dining hall that was very vegetarian and vegan friendly, it was really easy for me to to make the switch. And I knew other people there who were doing the same thing. 
And so it was it was sort of easy for me. And I have to say, when I stopped eating meat, I didn't really notice any difference uh, physiologically. But when I stopped eating dairy, I noticed a big change. I had a lot more energy. I felt lighter. I felt a lot different. Um, so personally, I think that if, you know, if I, I needed to make any changes again, dairy is probably something that I, I would never really go back to, which is sort of ironic because my grandfather had a, a dairy farm that he operated at after he retired. It was sort of a hobby farm. Um, so I grew up also uh, very exposed to, you know, commercial dairying and how that works and, um, you know, having a lot of a lot of dairy products around. But um, I don't think I'm allergic to dairy. I just I just don't think that they sit that well with me. We'll return to our interview in a minute. But first, let's take some time to explore the connection between health and wealth, something that I firmly believe in and have tried to promote on this show. Joining us is my friend and personal financial advisor, Tom Shepard. The good news is that we may all be saved by figuring out what to invest in. For the last several years, we've been trying to help get out the message that safe and save are not the same thing. Keeping something safe usually means that it loses some of its usefulness. For example, if you try to keep your money safe through traditional means, you will not spend it or risk it, but instead simply hoard it. When we do this to the things that are valuable, a certain amount of purpose is lost. So the good news is that if you use your money to invest in good food, you may have more abundant energy. If you invest your time in the pursuit of kindness and goodwill, you may have better relationships. If you invest your assets in unsafe things that hedge your risks, you just might end up with a life that is more exciting and in some ways more worth living. And isn't that what SAFE is really all about? Preserving our purpose? To learn more about how to connect your resources to the purpose of your life, please send us an email to info at shepherdfinancialmain.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Flagship Harbor Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Flagship Harbor Advisors and Shepherd Financial are separate entities from LPL Financial. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. When I was growing up, I also became a vegetarian pretty early on in a time when other people weren't vegetarians. I was in high school also. And one of the things that I remembered was actually my grandfather, my Pepe, my French grandfather from Biddeford, kind of wondering, like, what? why would you do that? You know, here's some perfectly good food. And, you know, he came from the generation where you ate what was put in front of you. And it almost seemed ungrateful that, you know. And, and here you are coming from a family with a grandfather who's got a dairy farm. And, a, and how did your family respond to your dietary changes? Um, well, I think that in general, you know, my, my family, 
you know, both older and, you know, younger generations tend to be pretty open-minded. But that said, like any family and like your experience, you know, I encountered the same sort of things like, you know, really, you're not going to eat this. And this is, you know, because a lot of the older generation, they went through the Great Depression and, you know, really valued whatever, whatever you could have for food. Um, and I think that the other, the other thing that I've, I've, um, notice not so much in my family, but often with other folks, is that there is a real um, emotional reaction when people hear that you're a vegetarian. And I completely understand that. I mean, food is, is very emotional. It's tied to our families. It's tied to tradition. It's tied to culture. And um, when you when you see someone who's doing something different, even if they're saying, even if, you know, I'm not saying you should do this or, you know, I'm trying to make people do what I'm doing. It's just what I'm, what I, what I'm doing personally. I think people can feel as if they're they're being threatened in a way and and that the overall message is that they should they should do what I'm doing and you know if that's that's what they feel I can't really you know change their feelings but um, I can completely understand because food is such an emotional experience for us and it's tied to family and it's tied to memories and specific dishes evoke certain you know times and and places in our lives and you know I wouldn't want to take that from anyone or or change anyone I mean I think that everybody has to make their own decisions about what they're going to eat and what's right for them Um, there's I don't think there's any one particular way I mean there's definitely a lot of research out there about plant-based eating and it's it's um, it's health benefits Um, that said I don't think that there's you know that that necessarily is, you know, 100% plant-based diet is what everybody needs to do. I think everybody should be eating more plants and fruits and vegetables and nuts and grains. I mean, I think that those are all when in their whole form are good for folks, but that's not to say that, you know, people have to do that exclusively. I think that the problems that we're encountering in, um, in uh, health and you know, maintaining health and, you know, the prevalence of disease in our society have more to do with with people eating way too much animal protein, too much meat, too much dairy, and way too much processed food. So if people can move away from those and move towards more plants in their diet, they're, they're going to be doing a good thing for themselves. But I don't think that everybody needs to become a vegetarian if that's not what they want to do. And that's what I read when I'm when I see your columns um, in the Portland Press Herald or online. Is that you? You're just present. You're presenting information in an informative and interesting way. You're giving people other options. You're not judging or saying you have to be what I am. You know, you interviewed Dr. Kevin Strong, who also um, has been part of our show, and you. He's doing Dunk the the Junk. And you interviewed Jeff Peterson, who is a sportscaster, and he's done vegan eating. I mean, but you're not saying you have to do these things. You're you're just providing a possibility. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that it's interesting, you know, that there's 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 so many people in our community who are doing interesting things. And, um, you know, with with Jeff Peterson, you know, people know him from uh, Channel 13 and watching the news. But he has this other side to him, you know, to him. It's it's his, you know, own personal, you know, choice and at home he and his wife and their their kids they they eat a certain way and they've um, had a lot of success with that and they've you know lost weight and he's you know improved his cholesterol and and he's been very vocal about that and sharing that story with people and I think that's an interesting story and you know I've talked to other folks who've who've had similar stories and I think that you know people need to need to hear that sort of thing that it's not you don't you don't need to always get a pharmaceutical drug to 
cure your issues, that there are, there are other ways that are um, less expensive, less taxing on your body, and are probably going to have a better overall outcome in the end. And so that's what I try to share with people is, is you know, other stories and, you know, research that supports that. What have some of your favorite stories been? Oh, gosh, that's kind of asking, like, who's your favorite child, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I, well, one of the stories that I wrote recently, it was, it was kind of a, a funny story. Um, our food and dining section runs on Wednesdays, and this, uh, this past Halloween fell on a Wednesday. So um, I knew that I had to have some sort of Halloween-themed story. And I was joking around with um, some friends at work, and um, one of the running jokes is that, you know, people will mention something about food. And I was like, oh, well, do you really know about, you know, the, the behind the scenes story of, of this food product? And, you know, it, it, it shocks people. And so they said, you know, you should really do a, a haunted house tour of some of these foods. So I said, OK, that's kind of a funny idea. So in um, a tongue in cheek manner, I did a, um, a tour of a supermarket and, um, you know, basically saying that I don't need to go to a haunted house to be scared on Halloween. I can just go to my local <laughs> supermarket and and have all sorts of scary sights to see. And, you know, so I talked about I talked about different things. You know, there's been a, a recall of peanut butter, um, a lot of it organic peanut butter, which, you know, people would think would be good, but, you know, produced in a factory and, you know, contaminated. Um, I talked about that. I talked about the recent issues that Consumer Reports has uncovered with rice and the arsenic levels. Um, I talked about, you know, the factory farm meat and particularly hamburger when that's ground, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of really ripe for pathogens and um, various other things. And um, that story provoked a lot of response. We got all kinds of letters to the editor, both people saying, oh, great, thank you for running this, and people saying, this is, you know, not true. And, and so it was really interesting. And, you know, I'm happy to have people, you know, write in and say that they don't agree with me. I think that's great because it continues the debate. And, you know, I, I think that people should be talking about this, you know, whether they don't need to agree with me. I just think that people should be examining these issues and looking a little bit more deeply into what they're eating and where it's coming from. So I I thought that was that was kind of fascinating that this, you know, to me, it was just going to be this funny story. And it, it sort of, <laughs> um, you know, really, really provoked a lot of response in the community. Yeah, you never know when you put something out there in written form, what's going to come back and how people are going to respond to it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Avery, how can people read more of your work? Um, well, my, uh, my food column appears in the Wednesday Food and Dining section of the Portland Press Herald. Um, um, I often write in other, other sections as well. Um, folks can, are certainly welcome to uh, friend me on Facebook. Uh, I do post my stories on there if, if they don't live within um, a place where they can get the Press Herald or have easy access to it. I, I do post stuff on there. Um, they also can follow me on Twitter. Um, I like to, to post links to my stories on Twitter, but I also, you know, there's so much being written um, these days about health and food, and I like to post links to things that other people are writing and interesting studies and, and that sort of stuff, and I often post that that information on Twitter as well, so that's another way people can connect with me. And the Press Herald website is? Is uh, pressherald.com. We've been speaking with Avery Camilla, who is a columnist for the Portland Press Herald and the natural foodie writer. We've really enjoyed spending time um, talking about your background here in Maine, not only as a 
child of a farm, but also, well, child of parents who live on a farm, I should say, but also as someone who's really spent a lot of time thinking about food and its impact on your own personal life and the community. So thanks for coming in. And well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, The Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774-2196 and get started with The Body Architect today. And by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendonitis, muscle and ligament tears, instability and arthritic conditions, can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. This time of year, we're starting to see the sun in the sky more and more, and we thought it would be appropriate to bring in someone who puts a a little bit of sunshine in people's life on a regular basis. This is Heather Chandler, the founder and publisher of The Sunrise Guide. Thanks for coming in and talking to us, Heather. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Heather, this is the seventh edition that you're putting out this year. Yeah. And it's been quite a journey, I would imagine. It's been a whirlwind of seven years. <laughs> mm -hmm. How did this sure. start up? In I mean, I'm fascinated. I have been purchasing the Sunrise Guide pretty much every year. I mean, I love what you put into it. Um, I pick it up at the Royal River Natural Foods or at Lois's Natural Marketplace, and I love getting the coupons out. My kids love getting the coupons out. But it's a very interesting concept. How did you come to um, decide you wanted to put this out in the world? I was sort of a, a confluence of a bunch of things happening at once. So I was working in a, another career and kind of coming to the realization that it was time to make a change. And so I was doing all those things you do, you know, reading books and what colors your parachute and all of that. And uh, around the same time, I traveled to the Northwest and visited friends in Portland, Oregon and Seattle. And both of them had a similar publication on their dining room tables. And so, of course, I was on vacation. I had plenty of time to sit and read. And um, as soon as I picked it up, just fell in love with the idea. And it just seemed to bring together so many of my interests and experience. And I'd always had a background in marketing and publications. And then I'd always been interested in healthy living and eco-friendly lifestyle. And um, it just you know, light bulbs went off and I thought, oh my gosh, we have got to do this in Maine. So that's really how it started. And I initially contacted the company out there to see if they would come to Maine and do something like that. They were wonderful, but ultimately decided that was a little too far for them. And so, you know, put it down for a few months, continued on my journey of trying to figure out what was next for me. And uh, I kept coming back to the book and just realized it was the only thing I really wanted to do that I was really excited about. And so... That's how it all started. Well, what was it about this book that you kept picking up that kept saying, Heather, you need to do this? Yeah, you know, it was really, um, it represented um, 
so many aspects of things that I was interested in. So I love that. And this publication, The Sunrise Guide, is modeled pretty closely after the publications I found in the Northwest. So I loved that it was a resource, kind of a one-stop shop that pulled together all of those aspects about my lifestyle that I enjoyed, you know, yoga and healthy foods and um you know, learning, constantly learning about sustainability. And so it pulled together all of those resources in one place combined with coupons. So you had um, a motivation to go out and try new businesses that maybe you hadn't before. And, you know, back seven, eight, nine years ago when I was developing the business plan for this, um, you know, green and healthy products weren't as prevalent as they are today. And so there was some hesitation, I think, for people to try something new like that that they hadn't before. And there were perceptions that green products didn't have the same quality, um, you know, that they were more expensive. And so the idea of pulling all these resources together and giving people a financial incentive to try them and realize that, wow, these are great. They work. And um So it was that, and then I also saw it as a way to support the businesses in Maine that I love and I want to see continue to be successful and prosper, and it just made sense. It brought it all together, and um, yeah, I felt like it was was sort of like taking those community bulletin boards that you see in natural food stores and yoga studios and putting it all together in a book where, um, you know, you could, in one place, figure out where to find all of those things. Tell me about some of the businesses that you have brought sort of into the pages of this book. Um, specifically, some of the businesses? Yeah. Well, tell me what the range is for people okay. who are listening who have never picked it up. I can't imagine that, by the way. I suspect <laughs> everybody has one of these on their coffee table, so we're just, we're just telling them what they already know. But for people who, who aren't familiar with the Sunrise Guide. Well, it ranges from, there are six different uh, categories of businesses that are included. So food and dining is probably the most popular because we all eat. And so there are coupons for natural food stores, local markets, you know, as you said, Royal River, Natural Foods, Lois's, um, places like the Rosemont Market. And then there are coupons for uh, restaurants that use that have a commitment to using local and organic produce, uh, vegetarian restaurants, restaurants where you can find um, a selection of gluten-free options, where you can also find natural meats and sustainably sourced seafoods. So really trying to pull together those places so that if you care about that, you know where to find them. So that's food and dining. Um, and then it also ranges to there's a whole bunch of home related businesses. So whether it's um, the Habitat Restore, so it's a place where you can go and get um, building materials that are either surplus new materials that are donated to the Restore, or maybe they're gently used but still fully functional um, at a discount. So places like that, there are garden centers, um, home services. So if you're looking for a lawn care company that uses greener methods or Um, a home cleaning company that uses greener methods. You would find them in the Sunrise Guide. A whole bunch of health. There's a huge health and outdoor living section. So that's, you know, bike shops, kayak outfitters, yoga, massage, chiropractors, acupuncture, all of that sort of thing. Um, And then there's a personal care section. So that's consignment clothing stores, maybe cloth diaper companies, that sort of thing. 
So it really runs the gamut. It, the whole goal is to be comprehensive and, you know, what do you need for your life in Maine if you're interested in healthy and sustainable living? So what are your criteria? Because I know that um, you don't let just anybody advertise in the Sunrise Guide. Right. Yeah. So basically, we're looking for businesses and it, our criteria is applied on a product advertised basis. So um, we are asking businesses to promote their products or services in the Sunrise Guide that are more environmentally friendly than the average competitive product. So, you know, you may see businesses in there that cover a whole line of products, but we're asking them to put their greener products up front. So for example, um, Hammond Lumber Company, they promote their FSC certified wood products in the Sunrise Guide. Um, you know, they carry other products, but that's what they put up front. So in a nutshell, that's what we're looking for is products that are um, greener than their average competitor. We have a pretty elaborate matrix of how in the past we've figured that out. Nowadays, it's just sort of, you know, we kind of know it and you just suss it out. And, you know, we also understand, um, you know, that there are a lot of um, things that go into. So, for example, um, one of the things that we recognize are third-party certifications. So um, in, a, in a food example, that might be that they're organic certified. But we also know that there are lots of farms out there that don't have the organic certification, but they operate in as organic a way as they can. Maybe they just don't pay for the certification. So we've sort of learned over the years that there's a lot of gray area, and we really um, just try to, you know, kind of determine whether they're being authentically um, greener than the average. So I don't know if that answers your question. It used to be very specific criteria, and it's gotten a little bit more, um, you know, sort of just developed a general sense of really who's doing something that rises above the norm. I, I do think that that's an important point. We've had other people on the show who have talked about organic certification, or we've talked about... Um, fair trade certification and the process entailed and how that can have interesting and not necessarily positive ramifications on individual businesses. Mm. So I think the fact that you're able to evaluate these businesses or their products on a sort of person by person or business by business um, in a manner that that's more consistent with the type of living you're espousing anyway. Right. And I think once you when you're involved in the community and you know, you sort of get to know people as individuals and you get to know kind of what's happening in, in each of those fields, you sort of, you can develop a sense of really where is the bar and who's, you know, who's really striving to be above that. Why did you think that it was important? I mean, why, why is it that you're interested in yoga and sustainable living? I mean, what was it about your background and growing up and, you know, your earlier years that caused mm -hmm. you to sort of head in this direction? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. Um, I was raised by um, very, um, I say I was raised by hippies <laughs> um, in Western Massachusetts in the 70s. You know, we lived in Northampton, Mass, which I don't know if you know anything about Western Mass, but pretty liberal um, uh, gathering place. And, um, you know, my parents raised us on really healthy food that I um, did not appreciate when I was a child at all. You know, we, when we were kids, we volunteered at the food co-op and, you know, my siblings and I would just laugh at the people we volunteered with at the food co-op. And, you know, I think at the time we definitely didn't appreciate that, but, um, I think it, it really 
developed a great foundation for me to, you know, when I became an adult, choose that because I knew that it was right for me. Um, so I think that those roots helped, you know, kind of guide me in this direction. I don't think that I would necessarily have had to have those roots to go in this direction, but um, on my particular path, I think it was significant, you know, kind of coming from that background. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. What's interesting to me is looking at the Sunrise Guide and also at this, the other guide that you produce, the Green and Healthy Maine, which is a visitor's guide to Maine. And how many have you been doing this for very long? That's our first edition, 2012. Um, the summer of 2012 was the first year. Well, summer. I happened to pick this up in the airport. It's very nice. Thank this, you. Both, both of the guides that you do are very good. But it strikes me that you've had to go beyond the traditional um, natural foods co-op way of promotion because... We're not just all hanging around the dusty barrels at the Good Day Market on the West End anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, there's a lot of um, people are very aware. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, good marketing being done, whether it's a green product or a non-green product. How have you found it in terms of ch- how challenging has it been to kind of wed those two ideas? You know, staying green, but also being eye-catching, uh, marketing the products that you want to market but staying consistent with, you know, maybe FSC certified paper or mm. living some of the and having some of the business ideals that you're trying to espouse? Mm. That's a good question, too. Um, I would say it's a delicate balance. We have um, always published the Sunrise Guide on FSC certified paper that's um, 100% recycled, post-consumer recycled content. And then when we did the magazine for the first time, oh, and I should also say we've always published the Sunrise Guide um, with a Maine-based printer, and that's been really important to us to do that, um, even though we knew that we could publish it for less money in other places. But we're, we're very committed to that with the Sunrise Guide. When we put together the plan for the magazine, um, the type of printing, so it's printed on a web press, and there aren't web presses in Maine um, that were an option for us. So we actually had it printed in Vermont. So it's the first time we ever printed outside of Maine, and that was, you know, it was a pretty significant decision to do that. Um, and we printed this on 50% post-consumer paper. So it's, you know, you're always kind of making those decisions of how are you going to be able to. Um, meet your bottom line needs and be true to your ideals. And um, so it's definitely a delicate balance. And, you know, we, as I said, we're very committed to keeping the Sunrise Guide a main printed publication, but where this was a tourist publication and we couldn't find that technology to print it in Maine, um, we had to make the decision to go to Vermont, which, you know, feels like family anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close by. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. a few states over. But you're right. I mean, it is interesting because, and this is talking more technically, but Sunrise Guide has more of a matte feel to it, and it's, it's not quite as glossy as the Green and Healthy Maine publication. But on the other hand, if by creating a publication for people who are coming into the 
state as Taurus, if that actually sort of raises the um, awareness of local green businesses, then aren't you contributing to a greener and healthier Maine anyway in sure. a different way? And there's so many, you know, there's so many ways that you can measure whether something is green, you know, and so looking at cars. So you're going to purchase a car. Does it have the highest miles per gallon, you know, the highest fuel efficiency? Yes, but is it, what's the life cycle analysis? Like when the car was produced, is it produced in the greenest way as other cars? So there's just so many factors, you know, that that come into making a decision about whether a product is green. And, um, you know, I think we try to weigh as much as possible and uh, make the best decision we can um, to that end. So, But I think your other point about um, kind of, you know, appealing to folks who may be outside of the, you know, born and raised in food co-ops and, you know, sort of um, more mainstream, we, you know, I, I think something that I've always felt is important with the Sunrise Guide is good design. Like, I really just have always believed that um, no one's going to pay attention to it if it doesn't look nice and it's not visually appealing. So um, that's that's pretty important, and I don't think it has to be um I don't one or the other. You know, I think you can have a, a really green product and have it look really nice and be appealing to everybody. Well, and I want to be really careful because I have a lot of respect for anybody who's listening, who's familiar with the Good Day Market and what it used to represent here in Portland. I think it it, it was a great place. It mm-hmm. fostered a lot of community and a lot of awareness and an, er, very early on of organic foods and natural foods. And, and I think there's a lot of that that did take place. It's in a sort of a foundational level. Mm-hmm. It's just that when you're trying to move out into the mainstream and, cr- and create more awareness amongst um, people who maybe don't want to have... Um, well, people who need something a little bit more glossy. Mm-hmm. I think you need to c- kind of fit into that paradigm a little bit more. Right. It makes me think of, um, I recently read an article about the greenest car in America this year. And so the Ford, I'm not going to remember the, um, the model. Is it the Fiesta? Anyway, it's their like compact wagon was chosen as the greenest car in America this year over you know, things like the Prius or other um, hybrids. And the reason they stated was that when they looked at all factors considered, it was most likely to have the biggest impact because more people would buy that car than people who could afford to buy the hybrids. So they looked at kind of the big picture. And um, I think that gets to your point of, you know, if you if you're able to bring folks into Maine from out of state and bring them to our great green and healthy businesses, then overall, um, you know, it's doing more good than, you know, appealing to a smaller segment of the audience. And And is there also a process that takes place over the course of seven years? I'm asking you this personally, but I guess it could be more a more larger, a larger question of first starting out with a very stringent set of ideals, like it has to be this, it has to be that. Um, And then over time, sort of having to evolve the way that you think about things. And maybe, I don't want to use the word judgmental, I'm not sure, I don't think that I would apply that in your case, but kind of having to be more broad thinking about all of this. Did you find that to be true? Yeah, I think it was probably related to my... Um, transition from being in the nonprofit world, which was my background, um, where, you know, the bottom line is mission and values, 100%, to being a business owner. And my bottom line is multiple things now. So I think that 
that um, transition definitely happened over the years for me. And I, you know, very early on um, approached my business with a nonprofit mindset because that's what I knew and have really had to learn how to be a business owner and, um, you know, really look at everything from multiple perspectives. And, you know, it's we're not going to achieve our environmental and social mission if we don't achieve our financial mission. And so um, I definitely have seen a lot of transition in that over the years. And isn't that the definition of sustainability? Sure, yeah. Over the long term. Right. Heather, in both the Sunrise Guide and also the Green and Healthy Maine Visitors Guide, I'm struck by the stories that you've um, put in place, whether they're about wind power or local artisans or acupuncture. And they're inspiring. They inspire us, I think, they inspire me to want to live a, a more ecologically balanced and centered life. But there are the pressures, the external pressures of being a business owner. And I know things are probably different than they were seven years ago when you started. What keeps you on the path? What keeps you kind of waking up in the morning and saying, I still want to do the sunrise guide. I still want to live the kind of life that I live. I still have these values and this mission. Mm -hmm. Lots of things. Um, I certainly hearing people's stories. So when readers write in to us and um, tell us how uh, various aspects of the publication has affected them and and uh, impacted their life. That is really inspiring, and that you know can sort of drive you for a long time. Um, I think I've also learned over the years that um, it's important to take time off. That took a long time to learn that lesson. I don't think I took my first vacation really my first vacation until five years into the business and I was I was really burnt out and you know what happens when you're burnt out is you start to lose that inspiration and you start to question what am I doing why am I working so hard you know Um, and all of my advisors for years said the same thing they all said you have got to take a vacation but when you're in the middle of it you just think how am I gonna find this time you know how am I gonna get away and um, I started working with a business coach, and I think that was very helpful for me in finally um, taking a vacation. And so two years ago, I took a two-week vacation to Italy, and um, just a month ago, I just got back from my second two-week vacation to Italy. So I think that helps a lot. I really do think that time off helps um, get perspective and sort of recharge your own batteries so that you can remember why you're doing what you're doing. And I also think, um, I think a healthy lifestyle for sure factors into it, you know, Um, healthy eating, yoga, meditation, time spent outside, you know, they seem really simple, but I really think it helps. And um, yeah, so I would, those are the things that come to mind. You know, it's, it's a constant um, uh, effort to do that. You know, you, you don't just do one thing and, and be set on course forever. You have to kind of keep coming back. And, um, so I think it's, it's a combination of all those things. And people who pick up the sunrise guide or the green and healthy Maine visitors guide, they can find little businesses and little piece of inspiration, little coupons that can kind of keep putting them back on course, I think. I love that you see it that way. That's wonderful. I like to think of it as being inspiring. You know, that's one of our goals is to help inspire um, healthy and sustainable lifestyles. So it's really nice to hear you say that. Where can people find out more about the Sunrise Guide? And what are some places that are in the local area that are selling it? 
Well, we have a website, thesunriseguide.com, and so all of the stores are listed there. So that's one one location. Um, and if folks are in the Portland area, I mean, they're they're in over a hundred different stores now. So everything from um, the local natural food stores to Longfellow Books, um, Whole Foods carries them. There, you can purchase them pretty much from Kittery to Belfast. So. Um, depending on where people live, there's probably a store near them. And if they're just outside of our distribution area, they can also purchase them online and we can mail them. And they're pretty inexpensive, actually. I think it's, it says still just mm-hmm. $20 on the cover. <laughs> and I've myself, I think, already used at least two coupons out of the 2013 book. I know that wow. every year before this, I've basically made up the cost of the $20, so it's worth it. Awesome. It's a pretty um, it's a pretty good trade from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for putting the guide out there and for giving my kids and I something to look forward to every year and little adventures that we can do based on that. And um, I'm really glad that we've been able to speak with you, Heather Chandler, the founder and publisher of the Sunrise Guide and also the Green and Healthy Maine Visitor's Guide. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Today we've been talking about good news. And next week we will continue this conversation with Michael Chase of the Kindness Center. Here's a few words from next week's show. It's it's interesting, you know, the, the Kindness Center. People, first of all, they think, the Kindness Center, where that must be nestled in the mountains, surrounded by unicorns and rainbows and pixie dust, and <laughs> it sounds like a magical place, you know? Um, but it, and, and we did originally think, okay, it will be a, a physical location someday, and, and, and it still may. If the right opportunity comes along, then I would love to have a, a place where people could come. But... It, um, it quickly turned into a, a mobile center where I started to take this, this idea of, um, of creating a kinder world and, and putting it in, in a vehicle of doing large-scale random acts of kindness events. And we've taken them all over the country. Um, started, the first one was right here in Portland called 24 Hours of Kindness. And it's this marathon, 24-hour marathon of just performing random acts of kindness with with no sleep, no breaks, just doing good things for other people. Uh, last summer, I, I did this this event in uh, in New York City. I did the 24 hours there. And you want to talk about, you know, there's a difference between Portland, Maine and New York City. Let me just tell you, you don't wear your Red Sox hat there, okay, if you want to perform acts of kindness. <laughs> it, but it was amazing. The people, the people were really wonderful, actually. Um, and so we've done 3,000 miles of kindness, a cross-country road trip. So all these events became a, a big part of, um, of sharing the message of kindness. Uh, but the, the primary thing that I do now is, is I speak. Um, I speak to people all over the world now. I've been so blessed um, to, to be able to travel, to share, to share this. And the wonderful thing is that kindness is a universal language. You know, it makes no difference whether it's, I'm speaking to a, a group of middle school students, which I do. I speak to thousands of students every year using kindness as, a, as a, um, an alternative to anti-bullying. So we bring something positive. Here's what you can do instead of what not to do. It's been extremely effective. So whether I'm speaking to middle school kids or a group in corporate America, everybody understands it. I mean, it's, it's, it, it doesn't step on any toes. It doesn't offend. It doesn't, you know, because some people, you know, I speak to Christian groups. I speak to Buddhist groups. I speak to, I speak to people that are just totally non-believers. But we all can connect with that, that message of kindness. 
Um, so, so the Kindness Center just continues to be a vehicle for, for um, creating these events, sharing the message, and, um, and we have other people that get involved with those events, and it's, it's been amazing, absolutely amazing. And we know that in medicine, we've, we've done work on compassion, we've done work on kindness, we've seen actual brain change, changes in brain physiology, we've seen um, changes in the way that the heart works. So we know that actually being kind to other people comes back to benefit us positively. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it is so simple. I, I mean, it is, and people say, how can you possibly make a living in kindness? You know, because it's, it's the most basic thing. But sadly, it's, it's a thing that's missing from the world, I mean, so often. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe there's far more good out there. Um, unfortunately, the media shows us a lot of the ugliness in the world. Um, but there is a tremendous amount of unkindness happening. And I believe that unhappiness is, for the most part, the cause of, of the unkindness in the world. When, when we're not happy with who we are, if we don't love ourselves first, and that not in an egotistical way, but in a spiritual sense, I mean, it's very difficult to be kind to, to others. Um, so kindness toward yourself is, is where it all begins. Um, it's so many spiritual teachers have told us over the years that, that world peace, it must develop out of inner peace. It starts with you. Um, but as you said, it's, I mean, science is showing. I mean, an act of kindness towards someone, if you perform an act of kindness, your level of serotonin goes up. It gets more interesting because if not only do you, do, does your serotonin go up, but, but the person on the other end, their level of serotonin goes up as well. But then someone just observing the act of kindness, just the observer witnessing a kind act, their level of serotonin goes up as well. So it's, it's that simple, but at the same time, it is that incredibly powerful. For more of our conversation with Michael Chase, join us next week on our Emotional Intelligence Show. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 78, Good News. Our guests have included natural foodie columnist Avery Camila from the Portland Press-Herald and Sunrise Guide owner and publisher Heather Chandler. For more information on our guests, visit doctorlisa.org. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's shows, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Dr. Lisa Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter and Pinterest, D-O-C-T-O-R Lisa, and read my take on health and well-being on the Bountiful blog, bountiful-blog.org. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you've learned from the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and what more there is that you'd like to know. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. Tell them Dr. Lisa sent you. I'm privileged that the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour sponsors enable us to bring the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, hoping that you have enjoyed our good news. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Booth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and 
the body architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street in Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Courtney Taberge. Summaries of all our past shows can be found at doctorlisa.org. Become a subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial on iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.